0: Welcome to Bar fights with attorney and advocate Sarah Klein, taking on issues that matter and advocating for legal, cultural and political change everywhere in order to protect children and vulnerable adults. Joining the conversation are survivors, advocates, lawyers, media personalities, athletes, celebrities, authors, wellness aficionados and many more. Because bringing real justice takes a team of experts who care. Now Leading the fight is your host, Sarah Klein.
1: Hey, you guys, and welcome back to Bar Fights. I am super pumped for today's guest. I've been a fan from afar. I've admired this woman. I've watched her come forward on network television and put her face Mm -hmm. and her name behind a story When it's easier not to, and it's something we talk about a lot on this show, people who do the hard thing, even though it's not the easier thing, it's not the beneficial thing sometimes, there are repercussions, you sacrifice your privacy, you sacrifice um, a lot to put your face and your name behind a story because simply put... It is the right thing to do. And that is what today's guest has done. She needs no introduction. I'm a fan from watching her on TV for over 20 years. She's a television journalist. She's been on radio. She's covered everything from lifestyle to hard news. Now she's in finance. Her new show, Life with Lauren, appears on Beyond TV. But she was on the Fox News Network for years. She has co-anchored with Dr. Drew. She has hosted the Emmy Awards. We love a little ESPN on this show. She was even a sideline reporter for them. There's <laughs> nothing she has not done, but I admire her most for the courage she had in coming forward against Hollywood producer, heavy hitter, Harvey Weinstein. Lawrence Yvonne. welcome to Bar Fights. Thank you so much for having me. It's a thrill to be
2: here. I won't lie. uh, When I first was asked to come on Bar Fights, I was like, this is awesome. It's a show about bar fights. (laughs) (laughs) Because I was like, I don't know that I have many stories, but I love to hear some. Um, But no, I I thank you for doing this show because I know it helps a lot of people.
1: Thank you so much. And thank you for doing the hard thing. Um, I know you met Weinstein when you were in your mid 20s or so. Um, I've listened to different accounts of your story. I don't love to rehash that stuff because I don't want to give these fuckers any more than <laughs> they deserve. Um, but long story short, you found yourself in a, in a, in a, at a small dinner party with Harvey yeah. Weinstein, your mid 20s. You're obviously very beautiful. You're coming up in the industry and you find yourself in a compromised situation with him. Um, Tell me about the fact that there were people even at this dinner that seemed to understand what he was doing. It was a well-rehearsed, sort of well-known secret, even a gazette years ago, right? Talk to me about that. Yeah. I mean,
2: so I was in my mid twenties and I uh, worked as a local news anchor on Long Island in New York and that, uh, but I was living in New York city and I show up at this dinner party and sure enough, uh, Harvey Weinstein's there. I mean, I know who he was. He's at every award show. I mean, I obviously work in news. I know who he is. Um, and so, you know, we, we were just at this small table. Maybe there was seven of us or, you know, six or seven of us. And he was very warm and chatty and no red flag. Um, You know, he was just um, chatting me up and like, oh, you work in news. I find that fascinating. You work on Long Island. And, you know, we were talking about like presidential history and have I been to the Roosevelt House, things like that, where I felt, um, you know, as someone coming up in the industry, like flattered that I was holding my own with this entertainment titan, right? But there was nothing that gave me the impression that he was dangerous. You know, I'm I'm at a public restaurant. Anyway, I have a, a girlfriend with me. That's how I got invited. It wasn't until um, I think we like moved venues and then he wasn't, you know, drinking and um, he kept offering me champagne and I was, I was off work, um, that he was like, let me give you a tour of this club or restaurant, wherever we were at. He goes, there's a restaurant downstairs. I'm one of the investors in it. I, you know, have you seen the restaurant? And I was like, oh no, I haven't. He's like, let me give you a tour. Now you have to understand like up until this point, there was no reason for me to believe that he wasn't just, you know, a nice guy, just um, chatting up some new stranger who came to the dinner table late. So when I got up to follow him, my girlfriend said to me, if you're not back, you know, in a few minutes, I'm coming to look for you. Mm -hmm. And that was because the gentleman sitting next to her told her, I would keep an eye on your friend. So you're right. I mean, people knew that this was his move, but again, I wasn't, um, I, you know, I didn't see the, the danger until I walked downstairs with him and I realized it was like a vacant, restaurant and that we were the only two people there and I was like "Uh oh I you know it immediately was like oh how stupid am I to think that he's just you know having a nice conversation um so yeah so down in this empty restaurant he you know kind of well he assaulted me he like blocked my exit he you know basically masturbated in front of me um I- I'm sure a lot of people you talk to I'm sure a lot of people you know will say the same thing when you're a woman and you're in that position, you, you freeze, you, you know, you're not Lara Croft where you're like, <laughs> I'm going to kick my way out of it. Cause I mean, I think a lot of men don't understand that they think, well, you know, you couldn't, you have done this. Couldn't you have like pushed him aside and couldn't you have kicked him in? the? Yes, maybe I could have, but that's not what happens in these situations. Um, but the truth of the matter is Sarah, that unlike a lot of, women I've spoken to, a lot of the Weinstein women I've spoken to, I was um, lucky for, for lack of a better word, in the sense that this was just something that happened. He was a stranger to me. This wasn't a interview for a job. This wasn't a meeting that I had like all of my career hopes on. This was just a, you know, a gross dude in a restaurant trying to get away with something. Um, It would be like if, You know, this a homeless guy in the subway was, you know, trying to assault you. I didn't need anything from him. And I just never had to see him again. Whereas a lot of the other victims um, had much more traumatic experiences. I mean, I can only imagine if this was like the guy that was going to make or break my career. What, you know, what kind of stakes that would be. So for me, it was like, gross. (laughs) Let's get out of here. And I can't believe a guy this famous is doing this to... Ran, you know, random women within an hour of meeting them.
1: Yeah, totally. And one thing I found so interesting is he then calls you up the next day. Oh yeah, and says that was, that was great. I had a great time.
2: That was insane. First of all, never gave him my number. Like, why would I? But he, we did chat earlier about where I worked, and I was like a local news anchor on Long Island, and he called my. he called my news station and the assignment desk is like I have Harvey Weinstein on the phone for you and I just remember getting like chills like this fucking guy (laughs) like found me and but I was like oh he must he must want to apologize obviously because his behavior was reprehensible no he was like I just wanted to make sure that you had as much fun as I did and like can I see you again when I'm back in town I, I mean I was the the balls really like I think at the time I was like no like what are you talking about no way but also when I think about it now it's like oh he wanted to test me to make sure that I wasn't going to go run you know or um like he wanted to make sure like I was okay that I wasn't gonna I don't know tell people because at that point even if I did tell someone no one cared I mean, I told that story a million times since 2007. Like every single time I was in a, you know, anytime his name came up, I'd be like, oh, my God, I have this crazy Harvey Weinstein story. And not once did anyone say, did you go to the police? Did you call the news station? Did you, you know, that was not something that happened. This was just, you know, men acting like men, taking advantage. um, And everybody was like, and that's Harvey Weinstein.
1: And that's and that's what kills me about this, right, first of all, grooming one o one right, making it seem normalized to your victim that was so fun. Let's do it again. Let me show right. you a fancy restaurant, right, all of that checking in the next day like it's normalized, yeah. But and also,
2: he's so used to this. It's like, you're so, so good at your job. You're in news. How fascinating. I'm working on, um, a, you know, a history biopic. I would love to get your input on a script, you know, making you feel important. And this is someone that, like, I don't need a job, for, you know, like, but but the flattery is there and it's very effective, especially when you're this, you know, 20-something, um, you have this titan talking to you and, like, engaged in, in things that you had to say, but it wasn't flirty at all. And he never asked me anything personal, you know, talked a lot about his kids. It it wasn't a sexual conversation, right? Because if it was, no way
1: I'm walking downstairs with you. Yeah. Right. Totally. And then the fact that you told everybody, right, you, you go home, you you told your friend yeah. on the way home, you told yeah. anybody that would listen, you told other people that you worked with and it was just kind of, yeah, that's what he does. That's the, the, the biggest open secret in Hollywood, right? It, yes, it
2: absolutely was. And when I would tell some people, when I moved to LA, you know, a lot more people knew him or had crossed paths with him. And they would be like, oh yeah, same thing happened to my girlfriend. Same thing happened to my cousins, you know, this was rampant and I knew it. And um, I was like, how did you know, this guy get away with it. But again, Sarah, like back in those times, <laughs> no one um, brought this up. If I called up the New York Post the next day, no one would run that story. You know, why didn't you go to the police? What, like, what would the police do? Like someone jerked off in front of you at a restaurant? What do you want us to do about that? I mean, that wasn't a thing that was um, able to be prosecuted
1: on any level. A hundred percent. And I think we've hopefully seen that change for the better yeah, in the last yeah. several years. But I always use the Weinstein case as, as such a sort of typical situation of a power dynamic where there's money involved. I've used the Weinstein case as such a paradigm of what is very typically seen in all of the cases I work on and all of the cases we've seen in the news. Jeffrey Epstein, Larry Nassar was a God in his own little world, right? I got it. You know Harvey Weinstein was a God in his world. Um, you know we, we've just seen the same you know the principal of the school who's abusing kids, the priest in the church they are godlike figures in these little paradigms, these little bubbles where power dynamics, money, you know brand reputation all is up here, and um, we see the same thing play out with the grooming but but th- this case really put it, um, on display. I think in a way where we could see this happen over so many decades and he was never, ever stopped until he was, Mm -hmm. um, talk to me a little bit about when people started coming forward and you had to make that decision about what do I do now? Um, Okay.
2: I remember it so well because I was in the newsroom at Fox 11 in Los Angeles where I worked. I was in the newsroom and the New York times story came out. Um, and I remember being like, Oh my God, he's finally going to pay, you know, like this is finally happening. These women are talking about it. Um, and it was like, you know, it was like Rose McGowan and, you know, the first ones that, that spoke up on that story and I thought they're so brave for doing that. Um and I said to my producer, I was like, he's he's gonna go down. Like this was on a Friday. I was like, this is huge. These women aren't alone. I'm like, I've told you my heart <laughs> story. I was like, you need to let me cover this. And I remember it being a Friday, and I remember them saying, No, we're gonna set you up, like you're gonna go cover something else, and this will be gone by Monday. That was their answer. What? Yeah. They were like, This is you know. So I was like, no way, this is going to be gone by Monday. Um, but at, when they w- weren't interested at all, my own station, um, that New York Times story had so much clout that I had told my story so many times. People started calling me and they were like, oh my God, you have a Harvey Weinstein story too. And some of my journalist friends called me and they're like, well, you talked to them about it. Will you talk to us about it? And I went to my news director and I was like, listen, I'm getting phone calls about talking about this. I was like, what do you want me to do? And they were like, nothing. Don't say anything. Like, we're not going to get involved in that. Keep in mind, I was working at a Fox station. Mm-hmm. Fox News Channel had just gone through a huge um, turmoil with sex yep. abuse allegations over Bill O'Reilly and a, you know, a bunch of others there. So I think the station's um, opinion was, we don't want to touch this right? We have too many victims of our own (laughs) to deal with. We don't need one of our own reporters, you know, because then we would have to have, you know, other victims on or the victims that claimed O'Reilly had abused, them. you know, like this, this was trouble for them. Um, So I talked to my agent, I didn't know what to do. Uh, He was like, just, you know, let it grow on its own. You don't need to say anything. Um, But then Harvey Weinstein came out with a rebuttal to that article. And when I read that rebuttal, which was ridiculous, by the way, he talked about like his bar mitzvah and like like nothing to do with any yeah. of his behavior, didn't say sorry, basically claimed these women, you know, this was sour grapes. They didn't get roles they wanted and they're making up these accusations about him. And that's what really pissed me off. I was like, I know they're telling the truth and I know there's more of them because if he did what he did to me, a stranger like, Within an hour, there's got to be more. And these women are are telling the truth. And I didn't want their um, reputations to be sullied because in the past, that's what I would see. These women would come off as gold diggers. They're trying to get something for nothing. They're, they're um, you know, they feel slighted. They didn't get roles because that's how he was paying them. And that's what most people would probably believe.
1: Yep.
2: Um, so that's when I decided like, oh, I'm gonna... At least stick up for them, at least say that they're telling the truth, and this is why I know that, yep, and so, yeah, a reporter uh called me, um he worked for The Daily Beast. I think that was the first person I told my story to, and he vetted it, you know, I mean, he called up the friend I was with. this is ten years prior, so he really you know did the work to make sure I was telling the truth too, and he called up you know, to make sure all the places I said where we were were actually existed at that time. Um, and I told the story and then, yeah, you know, all, all hell broke loose because once those brave women came out, everyone came out of the woodwork, as you know, um, it, 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 it definitely empowers others because before this, who the hell wants to be the person, you know, that does it alone. There's, there's absolutely no benefit to it.
1: No, it's crazy. And I was lucky enough to be one of many in my own case, but I think about yeah. a survivor who really is just the only one or thinks they're the only one, whether they're a victim of family, you know, abuse. Yes or you know and and so for any of those survivors listening feeling like they are the only one um they are part of a family of of all of us who have come before even if you think you are the only victim of a certain perpetrator um there is strength in numbers of survivors in general yeah. i loved seeing that domino effect in You know, the Weinstein story um, and so many other stories. But it really is is the rarity, believe it or not. It is, And, um, you know, uh, he as we know
2: now, he had a huge army of investigators, lawyers, um, you know, digging up dirt on anyone that dare uh, accuse him of anything. And I thought if I came forward, I would be safe. Right. Because I'm not an actress. I wasn't trying to get anything from him. Um, you know, I had no horse in the game. Like I this is just a story that happened to me. What I didn't know is like I I wasn't safe because the uh the guy who managed the lounge or club or wherever we were, um, was contacted by Weinstein and told to dispute my claim, say that I was like a known party goer there who had accused other men like wanted him to make up a complete lie about me um and that guy to his credit um Mr. Armin he uh he reached out to me directly and told me that this happened and he goes I know I know you're telling the truth and he's done that before in the same place and I won't do that um so I'm grateful for people like him uh because it's very intimidating to have you know, a Hollywood titan telling you what you're supposed to say. Otherwise there'll be trouble for you. I mean, I don't know that I would have been strong enough to say no, you know, if I was in that business.
1: Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. Um, So I want to go back to one thing I heard you say in an interview before, which struck me when you were in this room with Weinstein, you said one of your first thoughts was to go to getting mad at yourself or how did I put myself or questioning yourself? And I think that's something that is such a theme for so many of us. We go straight to that place of what what did I do or was it me? Um, Walk me through that. And how that thinking has evolved um, in you now that you have some perspective on that? I think one of the biggest disservices we do to
2: women growing up as little girls, um, we are told to number one, be agreeable. Don't, you know, make a scene, don't make a stink, be, you know, you want to be liked, you want to be agreeable, you want to show deference to some, you know, to others. And the other thing we're taught is um, our sexuality is our fault. That we shouldn't be wearing things because men can't control themselves. We shouldn't be saying things because men can't control themselves. I mean, I grew up Jewish. I have these like conservative relatives that I, I can't even sit on the same side of the synagogue because men can't control themselves. They can't look at women while they're praying to God. So you know this this idea that it's always women's fault gets stuck in our head very early on. Um, and as you know, as the you know professional and everything you've been through, every single woman has a story about uh, a guy that took it too far that didn't you know face, you know that didn't respect her boundaries. And I I don't know a single woman that hasn't been like, oh my God, what did I do wrong? And that's exactly what I thought. As soon as I got down those stairs with Harvey Weinstein, I said, You idiot, like you were too friendly, too flirty, gave him the wrong idea. And that's exactly what I said to him. I said, listen, of course I apologize to him. I'm so sorry if I gave you the wrong idea. You know, I I I'm in a committed relationship. I I I, I don't, I'm not interested in anything. Um, and I felt stupid that I, I believed that he was just interested in conversation. So I think all of us as women, first mm-hmm. of all, need to teach daughters that, um, it is not your job to make other people feel comfortable mm-hmm. and that it is not your fault if someone finds you attractive or doesn't, or, you know, it's, it put we put so much pressure on women and girls. Um, I have two little nieces. I know you have you know two little ones. I say to to them, you know, even as little kids, my sister will say, Go and hug un- you know uncle danny 's here. go give him a hug, go give him a hug And I see them hesitant about it, and I think we shouldn 't be forcing kids to touch or hug or do anything that they don 't feel comfortable with. We have to respect boundaries that children automatically have, but we teach them to drop them. Because you want to be liked, right? And you want to make other people comfortable.
1: Yeah, that's such amazing, amazing advice. I love that. One thing I say to my daughter, she's seven and a half. And I tell her, you're in charge of your own body. And I've said before, that's backfired on me, her little mommy who wants to snuggle her and smooch her and this and that. (laughs) but she'll say, mom, stop. I'm in charge stop. of my body. That's enough. Thank you very much. Um, and I, I respect it every time and I have to, um, but you're right. It doesn't conform necessarily. And I've even found myself yeah. saying, go give Papa a hug, go give uncle, Aaron I know. A hug. you know, um, but it's so, are we, are we shoving the little boys into people's arms. I don't know. Sometimes, you know, you'll see uh, it and we shouldn't be doing that either. No, no, absolutely not. Um, So you come forward, you put your voice and your face behind this. You didn't have to do that. um, But you wanted to stand up for those other women and you wanted to, to contribute in any way you could. There are repercussions to that. Right. And and I've paid the price. I've been called every name in the book. I've gotten death threats. I've been called whore, slut, you know, everything. What were some of the repercussions that you faced? And, and then let's talk about, was it worth it? Right. We have people listening, maybe even contemplating reporting for the first time, telling a friend for the first time. Um, I want to say it's always worth it. I've seen it. I've seen it work both ways because I think there's so much work yet to be done. We're scratching the surface me too movement, you know, all of that, but, but it's a sacrifice, and i don't I don't want to I don't want to downplay that, right? what What did it look like for you? It's a really good question, um
2: because I think about it a lot. Was it worth it? Um, in my mind, I didn't know what a price I would pay. I thought in my mind um, I was just trying to validate someone else's story, right? I just wanted the public to know that these women were telling the truth. He is not. Um, and I know he's the big guy and he's got all the money. He's got all the lawyers and he, you know, he has lies all up his sleeve. But I wanted just to to let those women know, like, this is the truth. They are speaking the truth. Um, I didn't think in my mind what price I would pay because, you know, in my mind, I was like, well, I'm not an actress working in Hollywood. So what's he going to do, blacklist me? Like, I'm not going to get a movie? I mean, I'm not, I'm a local news. <laughs> I'm trying to get a movie. <laughs> yeah. But at the end of the day, you know, he is still a very powerful man. He found out where it worked, you know? Um, And I had a few, definitely a few men, uh, some in the entertainment business, some not, who were like, you got to be really careful. And if I were you, I wouldn't say anything. Um, You know, I've seen him go after people is what they would say. Um. I didn't know the full fallout until obviously until afterward. And here's the thing, was it worth it? I mean, the price that I paid was I got, I think this reputation or this label, let's say, um, you know, I, I know you've, there's, there's so many terms for, for victims of this kind of thing. And I know a lot of women like don't want to be called victims. They want to be called survivors. And I was just never comfortable with any of those terms. I didn't feel like a victim. I didn't feel like I survived anything. I just felt like, yeah, this is something that happened. And like, I just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I don't want to be the, you know, the face of like, uh, you know, assault. Um, So I really struggled with all of a sudden becoming this uh, voice and face (laughs) of, advocacy for for women who um who've really been abused and been traumatized because I didn't feel what I went through was traumatic Mm -hmm. um as women and I'm sure you're in the same position I don't know you well enough but I have a hunch this stuff happens to us all the time you always have people saying in you know wildly inappropriate things to us asking us wildly inappropriate you know personal questions going in for job interviews the you know interviewer being widely inappropriate I mean this goes on so much and I've been you know when I was 14 years old and I worked in a restaurant like my kitchen manager like locked me in the freezer and tried to like grope me I mean this is just like one instance of my life that all of a sudden blew up into this huge thing and so I was really uncomfortable with that kind of attention on it, because as a news reporter, as someone who is, you know, in a different business and trying to get different jobs, um, there's still a lot of men in power that run things. And they saw me as, oh, she's the tattletale. She's one of the women that will tell. You know, I would feel uncomfortable in a work meeting making a joke in front of her. I would feel uncomfortable saying the wrong thing. What if she goes and tells? Um, I've never gone to an HR office in my life. (laughs) Like this was not at my workplace. This was completely um, by chance, but I, I, I didn't love the, um, the reputation I got. And I mean, my agent basically told me at one point where I thought I was up for a job He goes, you make, you make people nervous management, you know, and that was the price that I, that I paid that I'm so kind of devastated over and just imagine if that's the price I paid what the price the other actresses paid right there's a lot of heads of movies and studios that are men still so
1: hell yes and what a fucked up world we live in when telling the truth makes you the squeaky liability wheel (laughs) right Right. yeah It's the truth. And bad behavior is bad behavior. And the way I've always seen it, and I work a lot with child sex abuse, is there, it's a black and white issue. Right. Right side and a wrong side. You know, ejaculating in front of a stranger an hour after meeting them in a private room, it isn't normal. It just isn't. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But But it
2: happens everywhere. It happened at the Today Show. It happened, I mean, this happens, this goes on all the time. So the idea, so, instead of saying, well, we need to make it so that these women feel safe reporting this and that men will be less inclined <laughs> to do this behavior. Instead, it's like, well, let's keep these whistleblowing women out of our workplace. Yep. Um, that was really the, the blowback that, um, that we're still seeing. I mean, Sarah, I don't think it's a coincidence that all of this um, clamping down on women's rights, our reproductive health, doesn't have something to do with Me Too. Okay. It's taking away our autonomy. It's taking away decisions that we can make about our body. That's what Me Too was always about. And I see it now, you know, because that made everybody scared. Um this is this is a human rights issue, right? It's not um it's not a bunch of women who are, you know, upset about not getting movie roles. It's not a bunch of women who got together like you you know you and you all came up with the same story about someone right I mean that those are the lies that people want to tell themselves um it's not true and the more we allow women's rights and our autonomy to be diminished and taken away is uh it's,
1: it's you know I, I almost want to say like we're we're at a worse point now I've said that so much, I, we're going backwards, <laughs> you know, and so many people say, oh, congrats, you, you lent, lent a voice to the me too movement. And it was so pivotal. And so this, and so that, and in many respects, you know, it, it, it was awesome. And in many respects, I think, you know, things, they always, backwards, right? yeah, they'll so- be like, they'll always think, oh my God,
2: congrats. You're, you know, you're so
1: inspirational.
2: I told my son about you. I told my daughters about you. You're so inspirational. But you know, I'm not going to hire you though necessarily, and I'm not going to, um, you know. So it it's like this. What are we doing it for? Well, I think the, I think the younger generation now would never put up with what we put up with. Um, now there's way more. Um, they feel like they definitely have a voice to speak up. Uh, I see it all the time, you know, in the workplace, when they feel that they uh, don't like how someone's talking to them, or they don't like a the situation they're in, you know, they get made fun of a lot, maybe, because sometimes it is, you know, everything is very triggering. And like, there's a lot of blurred lines as to when they're actually being injured by <laughs> by words. <laughs> but, um, but I'm glad to know that they would never be as scared as we were. Um, because, you know, because so many people have spoken up because of people like you and me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's so well put. Um, My last question, I could talk to you all day. My last question to you is, you know, you've given so much, so much great advice in terms of the the young people growing up, but what advice would you give that 25 or 26 year old girl in that basement? Um, What would you say to her knowing what you know now? I would, I mean, I'm very proud
2: of her (laughs) to be honest. Mm -hmm. I stood my ground. I said, no, Um, I wasn't listened to. I wasn't physically assaulted, but I had to stand there and, you know, witness him jerking off, which no one wants to see. Um, And I thought, you know, part of me at that time also was, um, it it comes out weird, I think when I say this, but curiosity, I mean, I, I was a reporter, keep in mind, and here's this famous Movie producer, who's I'm like, you're just gonna have me stand here while you jerk off in front of me? I was like, whoa, that is nuts. Like I've seen a lot of things in my life, <laughs> so that curiosity factor and that kind of like, I cannot believe this is happening, was also going through my head, and I thought to myself, you know, later like, wow, that was crazy. But I, I think there was no way for me to see any of the red flags before i got into that situation. there sometimes there are mm-hmm. and i've gotten my you know i've prevented a lot of situations that way. Because you, you get a weird feeling, you get this idea that maybe this guy wants more than to just, you know, have a coffee or whatever it is. um but i had none of that none of those warnings and so i don't blame myself for the position that i was in and i'm proud of myself that i um you know, that I just dealt with it as best as I could at the time, as best as, you know, both personally and also there were no resources for me at that time. I wasn't necessarily traumatized by it. Like I said, it was just like, ugh, how gross. Some guy in New York City jerked off in front of my face, but it happened to be Harvey Weinstein. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas so many other women really went through trauma. I mean, it ruined their careers. It, you know, they had to, they, are still you know re- recovering from the years and years of trauma and uh, and as you know very well i mean you speak to people all the time on this show about how it moves its way into every decision you make throughout the rest of your life i'm so lucky in that this particular instance was kind of like no big deal compared to some of the other you know things i went through i i think i'm the only one that Had you know an encounter with Roger Ailes and with Harvey Weinstein, and both those scandals were going on at the same time. Oh, gosh, (laughs) yeah, and so people were like, How is it possible you're involved in all this stuff? I was like, Because they were predators and they had multiple victims, and I am not like this one, there's a lot of us, you know, and that's why, yeah,
1: Yeah, I'm not a unicorn, it's because I was there. I was there. there. And so that's why that happened at the same time. (laughs)
2: Thank you. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's amazing. And I love for whatever reason that you had the fortitude to tell as many people as you could and you in the face of deciding whether to, to throw your name and your voice behind this, you did it. albeit (laughs) naively, but that's okay.
2: (laughs) It is okay. But i mean we should also
1: to you to to
2: all the the victims that um it's it's a price you pay and you, you know you really do have to weigh it and it's not for everybody and when younger people ask me should i come forward i don't necessarily you know say yes i say do you believe that this is someone that's going to hurt other people and do you believe that by coming forward that you can stop that um that's really what you have to weigh because yeah like you know there's a price to pay and that will forever be attached to your name when people Google you, when things come up. So you have to
1: really think about it. A hundred percent. I love that, those threshold questions. Um, And had I had your advice back then, I might've done things a little different, but I <laughs> wanted to know for about six months for a lot of those those same yeah, moments, sure. um, as a, already a professional working woman and kids and whatever, what does this mean? But, um, but I admire you. I think you're just a firecracker and, <laughs> not just as it relates to this topic, but as a journalist, um, who I've loved to watch over the years, I'm, I'm grateful for you, for your voice for sharing your time with us here at Little Bar Fights. I'm a fangirl over here, um, Lauren, but um, all the best. So flattered. Thank you. And thank you for the, for the work you're
2: doing, because as, as you know, it's not for everybody. It's, you know, um, a lot of people find it really hard to talk about and some people find it really healing. Um, And you're doing you're doing the work. So I I thank you for your voice and your show. And also like, you're kind of a kick-ass host. Like (laughs) you really get people to open up and talk. Um, And so good on you.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. What you see is what you get with me. Anybody that knows me is like, there is one version of that girl (laughs) and that is what you get. Um, Lauren, how can our listeners find you? How can they follow you? Where's the best spot to find you? Um, well, I have
2: a show on Beyond TV. It's called Beyond the Blockchain. If you're interested in crypto or uh anything uh, blockchain related or web free related, which I know some people's uh eyes glaze over, but <laughs> but it is kind of interesting because it's all happening now. And I'm on social media, I'm on Twitter, uh on my Lauren Savon, and then I'm on Instagram under idiot savant because someone took my name. But um on there, it's just fun stuff you know lighthearted,
1: snarky fun uh commentary nothing i love heavy. it we need all <laughs> the fun snark we can get That's yeah stage, right lauren Savon. thank you my dear until we meet so that, much, that. i hope our paths will cross and thank you for being here best of luck to you my dear and to all of you listening thank you again for taking your time to listen to bar fights and we will see you next week bye guys
0: For listening to Bar Fights with Attorney Sarah Klein, taking on issues that matter. Please check out our website at barfightspodcast.com, Instagram at barfightspodcast, or Twitter at barfights underscore pod for the latest show updates and archives.